Hello, welcome to another episode of I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Chip Chantry. And I am, wait a minute, that's me. Oh, uh, see? See? You're Ken, Cr- you're Ken Krantz. I am Ken Krantz. I don't like the way that feels. It's not so fun when the shoe's on the other foot, is it? It's not. It Didn't... is not at all. And I apologize for all the times that I've done that to you. It's jarring <laughs> and disrespectful. <laughs> I am Chip Chantry. You are Ken Krantz. Yes. And now all is right with the world. I just don't, I really don't like it. I like it when I do it, but I don't like it when you do it. And we have uh, with us Chris behind the boards today. Chris behind the boards. Oh, oh. Oh. There it is. There it is. Are you there? No. Oh, all right. Well, hop in when you want. Chris has a new album coming out that I I thought. He, oh, nice. I thought he could plug, but yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do it. At, we could do it at the end. Yeah. So this is we weren't even supposed to be recording today. Um, but this was like an emergency. Holy shit. We got to talk about Charlie Watts, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you first did it, I was like, you're like, we have to do an Oasis episode right now. Let's talk about the the Gallagher brothers. What's happening with them since 96. And I'm like, yeah, let's get on it. Let's do it right now. It's Friday. Let's jump in. I'm on call. (laughs) I was so bummed out. Uh, so what's today? Friday? When did Charlie Watts, Charlie Watts died on Tuesday? I think Tuesday, yeah. Well, I was so bummed out. Yeah. It's, um, you might make fun of me for saying this, but it's officially the second time I cried uh, at a celebrity death. Okay, all right. Okay, wh- okay le- what was the year, or at least the vicinity of years, of the first celebrity death? I don't remember exactly when Super Dave Osborne died, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should have been you should have been ready for it with all of those horrible stunt mishaps that he had, that he did throughout the years. I just I thought it was I thought it was a goof. I didn't I didn't think that anything would come from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, David Bowie was the first. And, um, but the, the stones are my all time favorite band. They were, they were the first band that caused me to work backwards because they were so, um, upfront about their influences and wanted Mm -hmm. everybody to know their influences, you know, unlike, unlike some of these other British invasion bands like Led Zeppelin, who would just steal Robert Johnson's songs and, and not credit him. And uh, the Stones wanted everybody to know that they loved Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters and, and all those old blues guys. Um, so they were the first band where I, I'd see them interviewed and, and hear them talking about their influences and it, I would work backwards. And yeah. it, it opened up. Um, op- I think they're responsible for my love of blues. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they are. Yeah. yeah. I and Which is weird because before this week, I had never actually heard of the band. So I've really been like, <laughs> I got Hot Rocks and I've been listening to that. It's a double album and it just has all their hits on it. And I've been learning about that. The one with the gentleman with the with the blue jeans and it's mm-hmm. private area. Yeah. I got that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw somebody tweeted out, um, you know that uh, that the Nirvana kid is suing Nirvana now 30 years later because uh, they show him naked as a baby on their album cover. And now he's right. claiming that it's child porn and it's uh, it's um, 
It's ruined him for life, even though he's posed in that exact same pose like 20 different times throughout his life and cashed in, right. cashed in on his fame. But I, I wish I could remember what comedian, but someone tweeted out a picture of Sticky Fingers, that album you were just referring to that's just uh, a, a close-up of, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Mick's crotch. Uh-huh. And they said that they were suing for that. I think it was a blank patch. Oh, is that who it was? Yeah, I think it was Blaine. Yeah, yeah. Who is my favorite follow on Twitter? He's he. I think he's the funniest person on Twitter. He is really funny, and I am just now discovering that that's a dude. For some reason, I thought Blaine was a was a female. No, yeah, Blaine is a very funny guy. I've never worked with him or met him. I, I talked to him on Twitter once or twice. Uh, just honestly, just be like, hey, you're really funny. And he 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 actually is from PA. He grew up in like like York area, PA. And then he was good friends with Patton Oswalt back in the day. And I think they like moved to San Francisco together and then like L.A. And they they wrote on Mad TV together, I think. So he's oh. uh, but he's and he's written on like a thousand different TV shows and literally is like always the funniest person on any podcast. Like if there's a group of people on a podcast, he's always the funniest person. That's so funny. I wasn't even making a joke. I really did think it was, I, I really did think he was a female for some reason, but yeah. um, I, I just literally discovered him through that tweet. Somebody retweeted it and made me laugh so hard. So I, I hit the follow button. Oh yeah. No, Blink Patch is by far my, probably my favorite uh, Twitter account. Yeah. A- after all, me. All, always funny. Well, I mean, Ken Krantz, it's Ken Krantz and then um, Devin Nunez and then <laughs> Blaine Patch. I, yeah, he's one of the funniest ones I still remember that, that I'll never forget is uh, I, I, I'll butcher his joke, the, the cadence of the joke, but he basically tweeted, he's like, you know, those toilets that automatically flush when you get up, they also take your picture. <laughs> it was something to that effect. It's not as funny as it's funnier than what I just said, but yeah. Uh, but 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 guys, Blaine Capatch didn't die. You know who did? Charlie Watts. Yeah. Oh man, I was so bummed out. Yeah. I have not listened to anything but the Stones since since the news came through. Mm-hmm. They've just been yeah. in constant rotation. He's just such a. We'll, we'll get into it. I think this is just, guys, listeners. This is just our tribute to Charlie Watts. We, we we're not really doing a an actual deep dive episode like we usually do as far as like giving a background and a uh, chronological history of a performer or an artist. We're just going to talk about how cool he was. I think that's, yeah, I think that's the goal for today. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we dug up some great stories. I, it's funny. You and I uh, posted the same story, uh, not planned, but we posted the same story, I think within minutes of each other. Yeah, uh, I think we should just call this episode "Where's My Drummer." Yeah, if we can name this episode, <laughs> that's what it is. That's funny. and that's the that's the one story. Like I didn't know a lot about Charlie Watts. He was always just I knew he was just a great drummer, just such a crisp drummer, and has that jazz style, and just always had that attitude that it just it just looked like he was better. He thought he was better than them, which I totally agreed with, and I, I supported fully. And but I didn't know. But I knew that story. That was like the one story I knew about him. But then just uncovering him the last few days, just the amount of cool stuff that you and I will never achieve 
that he's no. done just in his spare time. Yes, is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's well. I we should lead with that story, but I just want mm-hmm. to um a quick one because you just said he always looked like he 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 always seemed like he was so much better than them. Right. And um, I'm I'm the word them is appropriate because I was just reading something last night where I, I I found just tons of tributes came through. Actually, Eric Harrison, who does the music, who does our intro and outro music, uh, sent me an email with um, where somebody had compiled just like 20 different tributes from famous rock stars to uh, stagehands or photographers. But one of the tributes talked about how Charlie always referred to the band as they and them, and it was never we and us. So, yeah. So when he had to go for a tour, which he he is he's famous for hating touring. He had a he had a love hate affair with touring. Mm. But whenever it came time to leave for a tour, he would always tell people like, "Oh, I'm going on the road with them again." It was always it, he. It was almost like he refused to be identified by being the drummer in the Rolling Stones. It's oh, that's that's amazing. It's there. I was reading one thing about how he he would always seem to get fast, and I think this happens, but with him especially, like he got faster with his drumming towards the end of a concert. So like they would be playing like Brown Sugar, and it would be at like twice the speed and people are like, he just wanted to get back to the hotel. Like he just wanted to be done with it. And just like, let's get this over with. Let's just finish this. It's I'm just too, I'm, I'm, I'm too cool for this. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that great story that I've, I've seen pop up everywhere. I've heard a couple different versions of it though. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, I guess the version that is in Keith Richards' autobiography, and I want to say I, I may have even read it in Bill Wyman's autobiography like 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, th- they had the Stones. Um, I read it actually in Brian Jones's autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been a neat trick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that. So Brian Jones, uh, the original guitarist for for the Stones, along with Keith Richards, dies in 1969, and it isn't until 2021 that they lose another original member. That's crazy. I mean it's it's over five it's over 50 years yeah. with, without and and they were you know they they weren't like Huey Lewis in the news they weren't like teetotalers they were. They, they they were they they were like Satan's house band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hard living. Yeah, and and they made it work. Right. Yeah. So um so one night uh Mick Jagger they're they're in a hotel I I, I don't know why they felt he, he felt that he needed I, I guess he wanted some kind of band meeting at some ungodly hour like four or five in the morning. Mm-hmm. And he he says, all right, I'm gonna I'm uh, Mick and Keith, I guess the other stones were in the room and, and Mick says, Alright, I'm gonna call Charlie and get him in here. And Keith says something to the effect of like, it's four in the morning. Charlie's not gonna wanna be here. Right. And um Charlie famously didn't do drugs, you know, I, I think other than um smoking weed. 
and uh, the occasional drink. But um, so Mick gets on the hotel phone and, and wakes Charlie out of his sleep and says, where's my drummer? And Charlie hangs up and it's four in the morning. So, you know, he's not sleeping in a in a in a suit. Yeah. 20 minutes later, there's a knock at the door and there's Charlie Watts. Freshly, like, showered and shaved, wearing uh, one of his impeccable suits. And Mick opens the door, and Charlie throws a right hook, hits Mick in the face, sends him careening into, like, uh, um, room service tables. Like, Mick crashes down. And Charlie stands over him and says, I'm not your drummer. You're my singer. Don't forget it. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. That's the coolest story ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I'm much I'm going to do that. I, I hope maybe we can start taking this show on the road and do like live podcasts. And one night you're going to call me and like, where's my co-host? And I'm just going to show up to your I'm going to show up to your hotel room, punch you in your mouth and then be like, yeah. I'm not your co-host. You're my co-host. And you're like, Chip, that's the same thing. It's like we're equal. So it's like, oh, and then I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And then I would like help you up yeah. and I would like call down for ice. And I know you know, be like, we need we need a medic. <laughs> I would be like, Chip, what'd you hit me for? <laughs> we're equals. Yeah. That's like, I, co- I, di- I didn't think this one through. It's four in the morning, Ken. I'm just a little groggy <laughs> and I apologize. Is that the coolest drummer story of all time? It, it really is. You know how confident way, you I have just to- like the fact that this is this will be our second episode of out of what? Twenty five. We've done something roughly, like that, like two dozen out of two dozen episodes. We've already covered. This will be our second time. We've already covered two members of the Rolling Stones and we haven't even touched on Mick or Keith yet. And I right. just love it. Yeah. 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 We did. Uh, Bob- Bobby Keith was our very, our very first, first episode. episode. Yeah. Um, it's just, can you imagine the, the, the confidence you have to have in your job security to, to be like, yeah, I'm going to go fucking punch Mick Jagger out and, and mm-hmm. let him know that he works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was a little bit older than Jagger and I think he's like two years older than Mick, three years older than Keith. And I probably at that point he was like, fuck it. They're just kids. I'm a <laughs> jazz drummer. And, and just, just went for it and was like, no, like even at the beginning, I read that when he first agreed to be in the stones, like they couldn't afford to pay him because he, he was getting a salary from his other gigs. And he was like, basically like, I'm not going to do it unless you can pay me. And like, I guess they've worked out some sort of deal, but uh, yeah, he was, so he, he was an art school student and a mm-hmm. very successful one. Like he, he immediately got a job right out of art school. This is probably in, I don't know, 61 or 62, something like that. He immediately got a job and began climbing the corporate ladder. And um, the Stones like uh, begged him, like Mick and Keith and Brian Jones begged him to to join the band. And And even before that, he was in, uh, is it Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated? Incorporated. Which, first of all, had like basically everybody from cream in it almost mm-hmm. had Mick Jagger had, uh, I, th- I think, uh, for, you know, Ginger Baker was in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, there were, there were so many people in this band, like everybody was everybody. And th- they wanted him to be a part of it. And he was a really good graphic designer. And he's like, nah, I'm going to go to Denmark to become a graphic designer for a year. And it was just like, 
was just in Denmark being a graphic designer and then came back and decided to join that group. Yeah. And then when he joined the Stones, I was reading, he also doubled as designing their album covers and sleeves for the first few albums. Yeah. Like if, if, and he, he, if he'd never been a drummer, he would have been still wildly successful. Oh, ex- exactly. Yeah. And I mean, he even did that like he, he did because he apparently he he, was, he would sketch too. he's always he sketched apparently every hotel room or bed yes. that he ever stayed in. He sketched that and he but he also designed like he and Mick together, I think, designed a lot of their stage shows like mm-hmm. the the way the staging for I think it's like Steel Wheels and uh, the, I had it written down somewhere, but like a couple of them where he was like. Uh, Steel Wheels, Bridges to Babylon, like a bunch of those. He and Mick des- designed the the whole stage setup. Yeah. He also came up with the idea of in 75 to announce their tour that uh, they basically got a – they drove on like the back of a flatbed truck through Manhattan traffic and played brown sugar to announce – their upcoming tour and he, he's like i got the idea from like the new york's new new orleans jazz bands and just was like yeah we're gonna do that so he just had this like definitely like artistic idea like outside of just music he was able to uh bring that yeah to it he he yeah. was he was the coolest dude in the coolest band I, and like mick jack i mean uh mick keith richards is, is, is like to be keith richards and not even be the coolest dude in your own band Mm-hmm. That's that's insane. And um, I read something uh, from Lars, from the drummer from Metallica, and he was talking about how no, like nobody can possibly understand how important Charlie was to that band. And if you read old interviews, Mick and Keith are always saying, "Oh, yeah, this is Charlie's band. We're just following him." Wow. Yeah. I mean, you just hear the music like you just I I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of their later stuff and or, you know, like I guess 70 stuff, I, I would call that. But like uh, Get Off My Cloud is just that's just Charlie Watts. Yes. Like there's nobody else really playing that song besides him. Yeah. Um. Uh, by the way, I have to say that I'm not a big fan of my birthday. I'm not a big birthday person, but I was happy to find out. I wish I knew earlier. I think I would have been more happy about my birthday. I share a birthday with Charlie Watts. Uh, We were born on the same day. And the only people, like the only people that I was, everybody always has like that cool celebrity that they have that shares a birthday with him. I didn't know until he passed away that I shared his birthday. The, The only three people that I had that share my birthday are Wayne Brady, Jerry Mathers, the beaver from Leave it to Beaver and Beetlejuice from Howard Stern. Oh, Beetlejuice is a good one, though. <laughs> that is a good one, though. Yeah, that's so me and Beetlejuice one. and Charlie Watts. I, yeah, I, I share. I got a beetle. I share it with George Harrison. Oh, wow. Um, like it's which one- time when he was reborn? Which birthday? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh. I I read I'm so I've been reading this book on Charlie Watts called Sympathy for the Drummer by mm-hmm. uh, also by a drummer written by a drummer named Mike Edison. I actually reached out to him on Twitter to to see if we can get him on today because I love this book so much and I'm finding so many great stories and great quotes. But um 
I I think this is good. It sort of sums up like Charlie Watts was a jazz drummer in a rock band and he yep. made them kind of like a jazz band. They became famous for their improvising on stage. And um, I think their secret was most bands follow their drummer, but Charlie was actually following Keith Richards and he was maybe just a nanosecond behind Keith. Okay. And I, I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not smart enough to know why that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, either, either do I. But, yeah. <laughs> but apparently, um, they, they give that a, a lot of credit, but, um, so I'm reading this book and they're talking about rock and roll and how rock and roll was originally uh, a euphemism, a euphemism for sex. So, um, I found this I found this quote about Charlie that I love. So in rock and roll as in love and sex, the role is the most important ingredient. For therein lies the swing, the seduction, the grease for the engine. As Keith Richards was fond of saying, the role's the whole damn thing, dude. The rock is nothing. Deal with it. The role is king. Unfortunately, most bands don't get behind the role. Role is anticipation, rock is penetration. Any dunce can rock. Children rock. Horny teenagers rock. Charlie Watts rolls. What a quote. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's so that's so cool. Because he did. He just stayed in the pocket and just I I mean, it like you just listen to it and that though the best songs just swing and they have that lilt to it. And uh he was able to deliver them. People just said there was a uh uh what was it? Somebody had I'm just looking up this. Um, I can't. Rem- I, I can't find it right now. But just yeah, he just had that. Uh, it, it, I don't want to say it was minimalist, but it was. And again, I'm not smart enough to know all this stuff. But he just kept it so, so tight and so. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm smart enough musically to do this. But you can just you just have that <laughs> feel for it. And it's always like and like people always talk about Mick and they always talk about Keith and of course like like they're great. But it's just it's it's that rhythm that that the band always had that that I always thought was amazing. Yeah, and he was he was so good. He was so confident in his talents that he never needed to show off. Like there was never, there was never a drum solo. There's not. I'm with hundreds of Rolling Stones songs on record. There's not a single song with a drum solo. He never yeah. once live performed a drum solo. Yeah, he was he was over it. He was past. He wanted to get back to the hotel. Like I said, he was done with it. <laughs> Why not? Um. I was also surprised, not surprised, but I can't think, and, and, and we've lost a lot of musicians in the last few years, a lot of the giants of classic rock. You know, like we yeah. lost Bowie and Prince and Glenn Fry and Fife Dog. Like we lost all these people in a, in a pretty short amount of time. Clarence Clemens. George, George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. George H.W. Bush was... Uh, I can't even talk about that one without getting choked up. Yeah. Um, but, and, and you know, everybody came out and paid tribute to, to all of them. But I don't remember anything like Charlie Watts, not even with Bowie or Prince, because I think they were so 
mysterious and inaccessible and and even even as far reaching as Bowie's influence was he 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 led a very private life and mm-hmm. um there wasn't the tributes flooded in but it wasn't like oh my god he was the nicest guy he always went above and beyond and this is what he did and i'm just reading story after story like that uh, about about charlie watts yeah um i read one from a steel wheels tour photographer who he was just hired to document the tour. He, he wasn't hired by the band. He's hired by their management. He he says he has no interaction with the band. Uh, he's just trying to stay out of their way as much as possible and fly under the radar and, and not make not make any waves for anybody. And he says one day he is uh, he's he's backstage and, and the tour is um headed to Chicago, they're headed to Chicago and they have a day off in Chicago before playing, I think, I want to say Wrigley Field the next day. And uh, so this photographer is backstage just like changing his lens or something and he gets a tap on the shoulder and he turns around and it's Charlie Watts. And uh, Charlie Watts knows his name. I think I've think I read the email, it was Robert. He was like, hey Robert, um, I know that you're from Chicago and I was hoping on, uh, since tomorrow's an off day, maybe you can escort me around town. I'd, I'd like to find a place to buy a new suit. And the guy was like, he said he, this guy's never worn a suit in his life, but he was like, yeah, of course I can. He had to like make phone calls back home and sure. do research. Yeah. And he said that he just spent the day with Charlie Watts suit shopping and, and all, all Charlie talked about was jazz and, um, he said that it was just like the loveliest day and he couldn't even believe that he, that this guy knew anything about him that he knew his name that he knew chicago was his hometown and then he told another story um same tour steel wheels and and they're in they're in new york and it's a stadium it may have been shea but i, I might have that wrong and um charlie watts famously was married for almost 60 years same woman he, he he met her before he met any of the stones and and got married before the stones were even the stones and um by all accounts faithful you know on yeah. on the road and yeah they were married he was married to shirley ann shepherd since 1964 married the whole way and i said you know he had the same birthday as me do you know what her birthday is no september 11th oh there's no fun there's no fun way to say that i don't yeah. know i i just i did that is her birthday. But like, I always try to, I always feel bad when somebody has that birthday. Cause you always want to like, I always want to jazz it up a little bit. Cause you feel bad. Cause they haven't had like a, they can't celebrate their birthday. So I always like to say it in a, in a fun way. <laughs> Chris said, we'll never forget it. Yeah. That never is a, forget that is your birthday. To, that's to, yeah. uh, that's a good He's, cake. Yeah. <laughs> so this other story was, um, Charlie Watts, uh, so they're backstage, same photographer, and he walks over with his wife, Shirley, and he asks the photographer, he says, listen, I know this isn't your job, and he has a bag of apples. He says, I know this isn't your job, but Shirley would really love to feed the police horses outside. Would, <laughs> would you mind just escorting her for me? And the guy oh was like, God. yeah, of course I will. And, and he took Charlie Watts' wife out, with a bag of apples and and they fed police horses 
That's incredible. Yeah. Can you imagine you're you're about to you're about to go play a like a baseball stadium, tens (laughs) of thousands of fans, and and minutes before the show, you're you're trying to arrange for your wife to take apples to horses. Speaking of horses, by the way, I mean this is one of the coolest things I I read. He lived near I, I think it's Dalton, a rural village in in West Devon. Which first of all, England has way cooler names than any place in america you know dalton near west devon where he owned an arabian horse stud farm who the fuck owns an arabian (laughs) i don't even know what an arabian horse stud farm is but it's way cooler than any place i'll ever live they ever yeah he um uh, and uh it was i think it was pete townsend said that he like he was talking about charlie he was like he lived this quiet life in the english countryside like just kind of went away from it and he said he had this little uh london bolt hall like i guess this little apartment in saint james again super cool name uh th- so he just had this like london like small london place for many years that that pete townsend said he's like which i think he used mainly to visit his tailor and buy paintings <laughs> yes. like he could have lived in london but he would only he had a place to go there only to travel there just to go go do go to his tailor for suits and buy paintings. Yeah. I mean, this man was the coolest, the coolest man on earth. Listen, and to, he was he was also uh the be- like named the Daily Telegraph named him one of the world's best dressed men. In 2006, Vanity Fair elected Watson to the international best dressed Hall of Fame list. Meanwhile, for the last 60 years, Keith and Mick always look like they're pirates in a John Waters movie. You know, just like he's <laughs> yes. Like he was just, he's always wearing a suit on stage or just something way cooler than like anything flamboyant that the other, the other guys are wearing. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know who he reminded me, you know, who reminds me of him. And I, I read a really beautiful tribute from him. Uh, Max Weinberg from the E street band. Like you okay. could, you could tell that he tailored a lot of, uh, not just his look, but also his playing. Like you think of, of, uh, the E street band and you don't think of, big drums and crashing cymbals and solos. Like, it's just, I think he's just an, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say that Charlie Watts probably influenced Max as much as any drummer. Yeah. He, the, the Rolling Stones actually, I don't know if you know this during the steel wheels and Bridges of Babylon tour, they actually had, they paid for a rig for a drum cage like Motley Crue, <laughs> but uh, Charlie refused to do it because it was too flamboyant. And he didn't want to mess up his hair. So, <laughs> Which I thought is, they you know, said he wants if, to stay true to the uh, if, to the, the basics. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his drum kit, again, I don't, I don't know enough uh, about drums, but he always had just a modest, small drum kit. He, he never went, he wasn't a student of that bigger is better school. You know, yeah. where you would see Keith Moon with rows and rows of drums. And and John Bonham, same thing. And you know, like you said, Tommy Lee in the cage, turning upside down, drumming. And he he just had a simple, he just had a simple like jazz kit that that he. Yep. Um, and and that's something that I mean I think is admirable, and it's also something that I'm just drawn to, and I I think you are too. Is just the basics, like keeping it. I don't need all that special extra Neil Pert. Stuff. I mean, it's great. And like Neil Pert, for example, is great, was great at what he did. And, and it uh, it's amazing. But like it's just it doesn't have that same soul. It you know, like a what's what's the guitarist name? Is it Ingve Momstein? Is am I saying that yeah, right? You know, yeah. like one of the amazing guitar player, obviously, like technically, right. but like I would much rather listen to like a sloppy 
guitar player that has a lot of soul to him. Yeah, you know, it's just it's not taking anything away from that guy. That guy's technical skills is is, is unreal, but it's just the simplicity of of the you know of, of the Stones and of what Char- Charlie did. That that's what I'm definitely drawn to. It's that again. It's that role. I think it's not that rock. It's it's that role. Yeah. Um, I read that this is how cool is this? He was a collector, but not like a collector. He would collect famous drum sets. Okay. So he would buy up like if he heard that the, the drum set that Elvis's drummer recorded a big song on or any of his, you know, Gene Krupa drum set or any of his jazz heroes up there. And he would buy them up. Not not he wasn't collecting them to because he, he he loved looking at them they he put them in a warehouse he he said he he's never even seen them but he he didn't like the idea of these drum sets that that created music that was so important to him he didn't like the idea of them just being out in the world and who knows what kind of shape they would be in and who would take care of them so he would buy them up just so he knew that they were well preserved. Wow. And they they'd sit in a warehouse and he, and somebody was hired to to you know take care of the upkeep on them. Yeah. And he was just he he recognized that these were pieces of history and and I guess he felt he felt better knowing that they were in his hands than than just out there. And th- and that's why that every year around Christmas I would donate. You know, you pick a charity. I would donate to the uh, the Charlie and Shirley Watts uh, drum rescue. I just always <laughs> thought that was such a like a nice thing that he would do for these drums that didn't have a home, that were just out there on the street, and they would they would bring them in and give them a better life. It's like John Stewart has that farm sanctuary. It's the same <laughs> yeah. thing. By the way, speaking of which, he he apparently, uh, you know, all of the Stones had you know these beautiful car collections. He apparently had a couple of cars, uh, didn't have a driver's license. Never learned to drive. Yeah. He had a, he had no. a collection of Rolls Royces cause he just liked looking at them. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Which is also really fucking cool. Like you would think in 80 years, you'd be like, Oh, maybe I should learn. I have, I have a big estate. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of drums, I want to get into like his collection of trips. I read about his first drum ever, like how he got into the drums. Did you hear the story where apparently yes, yeah. he, he had a banjo and he like didn't he was like, I didn't like the dots on the neck. So he just like took the neck of the banjo off. And then he heard I think it was Chico Hamilton and Jerry Mulligan. And he's like, oh, I wanted to play like jazz like that that way. He didn't have a stair drum. So he just used the banjo head as the drum. That's yeah. that's how he started. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I and and it honestly, like, all jokes aside, I, he he never got too much fancier than that with, no. with his drum kits. I was reading that uh, "Street Fighting Man," which is you know an all time classic song. He yeah. he did that on like a toy drum kit, like this the, the like these fifty dollar kits that you used to be able to to fold up it was for jazz musicians that that had to take their drum sets on a train it yeah. was just it was it was like one of the smallest kits known to man it was it was a portable drum kit and he records street fighting man which is one of the all-time great 
that's, uh, that's amazing. rock songs on, on you think about like I'm in the same book um, by Mike Edison in the same book uh, sympathy for the drummer uh, he describes like Keith Moon and John Bonham as street brawlers uh-huh. you know they would just hit it with everything they had every night until they dropped and he said Charlie Watts was like the silent assassin who would who would just little jabs and, until until you were just knocked out and you never even saw it coming you just you just watch him drum and just how boisterous the the other guys in the band are and just crazy running around and he just it's like he barely moved and it's just like he half the time he's just wearing a suit up there and just doesn't have much of a look on his face like he's just he's just thinking about something else and he's just in it and uh yeah he doesn't need to he doesn't need to go into those all those uh the the crazy antics yeah yeah he um he was uh he fucking sucks that this dude's dead um, I mean, he was he was 80 and he, he played with the Rolling Stones for 60 years, basically. I mean, it's not like uh, it's not like he was gunned down in his prime. <laughs> you know, as they say, it's just, you know, he, I All mean, right. he did. I, he had a great he I, did have a good run. I, I will say he had a fair. good run. You also forget, like, how revolutionary rock and roll was at the time that that they started um, when they came on. uh First time they did Ed Sullivan, mm-hmm. I think they did, um, I forget what two songs, one of them was Time Is On My Side, and okay. and he they whipped the girls into such a frenzy that Ed Sullivan came out and said that he was never going to have the Stones back on his show, he wasn't going to allow a band to destroy in a few weeks what he'd built for 20 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um he he was very dismissed, and then of course he had them, and then he saw the ratings, and then he uh, he had them back on six times. Yeah. Um. Uh, interesting thing, though, and I don't know why this happened, but I did read this about Ed Sullivan. Apparently, after they performed that first time, uh, Ed Sullivan didn't allow them to shoot Charlie from the waist up, which is a <laughs> which is a weird cha- spin on the Elvis thing. I don't know why, but yeah, I guess he was. Things were happening north of the border that he didn't like, that were unsavory. <laughs> I'm reading a quote from Frank Sinatra about uh, rock and roll. So mm-hmm. um, this is from the same book. In 1957, ranting to a European gossip rag in a story quickly picked up by American papers, he called rock and roll the most brutal, ugly, degenerate, vicious form of expression. It has been my displeasure to hear. It fosters almost totally negative and destructive reaction in young people. It smells phony and false. Which I think just proves that Frank Sinatra was a fucking dork. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was brutal and awful and brings out the worst in people and a dangerous thing. And he said that uh, tweet or he, he yeah, tweet. He said that <laughs> quote and then just had uh, five of his guys beat up a comedian in a back alley in Vegas. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so sorry, Mr. Sinatra. We sorry for being so crass. Yeah, a dork. Uh, I mean, and by the way, we were talking about him. Be you know how much of a gentleman he was. Ever we talked about him being gentleman? N- apparently, never cheated on his wife. Was like totally uh, faithful to her in '72, which is like you know 
exile days, the group was invited to the Playboy Mansion. Oh, and yeah, apparently Watts great. just hung out in Hugh Hefner's game room the entire time. Yes. So it was like, screw this, I'm going to play. I'm going to play some parlor games. He he was playing pinball while while the rest of the stones were off, you know, neck deep in debauchery. He he stayed in the game room and played pinball the entire night. I wonder if that's where Charlie Watts came up with the with the song Pinball Wizard. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that had to have been. You were so funny. I, I text you. So there's there's this incredible documentary. Um, were the Stones on tour in Ireland in 1965 called Charlie is My Darling. And Charlie's front and center throughout this documentary. And I'm watching it, and um, there's footage of Mick and Keith, Keith playing an acoustic guitar, and the two of them singing Eight Days a Week, which is obviously a Beatles song. Yeah. So I text you, and I was like, Hey, you gotta you gotta watch this documentary. This footage is so wild that there's footage of Mick and Keith singing eight days a week. And um I just got a text back a minute later that was like, That's a Beatles song, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to keep you on your toes, Ken. You're the you're the knowledgeable one. I need you to be the guiding force behind this this podcast and you know, to be factually accurate. Were you so like you know that's the age old argument Beatles or Stones what is it for you I, I mean I always liked them both growing up I think I was definitely more into the Beatles and then I definitely when I got older I like I I never really listened to much past like uh, uh, honestly like I made a joke about I think it's Hot Rocks mm-hmm. like I never made it much past that era and then I started getting into uh, you know, let it bleed getting into especially exile. And I was like, okay, then I, I really got into the stones more. Yeah. Exile on main street, in my opinion, is the single greatest album by anybody ever. Like if I'm, you know how you get like, if you're in a desert Island, like if I'm in a desert Island, I could bring one album. I'm bringing mm-hmm. exile. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely up, up on the list for me as well. What now? And be honest. Uh, I've never really listened to their like eighties, nineties. I mean, you know, tattoo you i guess but like past that mm-hmm. you know like 90s after that uh decent or is it just are they just kind of putting stuff out so here here's here's the thing with that i'm glad you asked that because um first off i always respected so much so this band has been around 60 years just yeah. about and yeah. right now their their current tour their no filter tour and um their 40 licks tour, which was about 20 years ago, are the only two times in their history that they've gone on tour without promoting a new album. Wow. It's, I mean, when you think about all these bands, the Who, the Eagles, you know, the, all these, uh, all these giants of classic rock, and they're just, they're just riding their old, their past catalog, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, the Stones were always like, we're not just going to go out and play greatest hits. We're, we're going to try different things. And, and yeah. for me, um, the albums are, some of them are actually quite good. Uh, you know, they're just under the radar. I think like um, 1983 Undercover, Undercover of the Night, um, that album is fantastic. There's, there's a lot of great songs on that album that, that nobody's ever heard. 
Uh, they they sort of got written off after Tattoo You. People kind of kind of fell off. But for me on the albums, there's always at least three or four songs that I think are great. You know, even even if it's even if it's like a Bridges to Babylon and it's got something unholy like seventeen songs and most of them are are filler. There's yeah. there's a good three or four incredible songs on that album there there's mm-hmm. there's moments um in fact on that bridges to babylon album the very last song uh it's a keith song the album ends on a pair of keith richards numbers and for me like keith richards is my all-time favorite rock star so yeah. i'll and if they put out a new album i know i'm getting at least two new keith songs so i know that i'm gonna love no matter what i'm gonna love two songs on the album yeah, but they uh, so they the the album ends on a pair of Keith songs, and the final song is called "How Can I Stop," and it is it's truly a jazz song. It's it's um, mostly I think like Keith's band that he works with, um, but Charlie Watts is on it, and it's it's straight up a jazz song, and ends with um, a Charlie Watts jazz flourish and if i had to guess uh i would say it was probably one of charlie's favorite stone songs because it's okay. it's the first time that he got to play pure jazz yeah. uh if you're listening and and you've never heard it, it's on the bridges to babylon album and it's called how can i stop it's a, it's a really beautiful song nice i gotta check that out yeah um but even like you know their last album that they put out was all blues covers uh, and then they, they put that out a few years ago. They, they just did an album of blues covers and it's fucking great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm always, I, I always respect, I know like people go to concerts and then you get upset when the new songs played and maybe you don't want to hear the new song, but I always, I always respect the like, no, we got to put out, we got to put out new product. We can't, we can't yeah. just coast on, we can't coast on our hits. We, we got to keep, we got to keep trying. So I, I do think I do think that there's um I do think those albums are there's moments in them that are worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I don't know the details behind this you might but in '89 they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He didn't even show up for it. Oh, like how cool do you have to be? Like what other stuff are you doing that night? That they, they they you're like ah I got this other thing I'm gonna do instead of getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, he just he did not care about that stuff. Um, yeah. He he wasn't he didn't here. This is here's another quote from uh, Sympathy for the Drummer. Asked how he managed to avoid the trappings of being a rock star, he told the interviewer simply, "I'm not a rock star." That's great. It's just, yeah, he, he just has that mindset of, again, you, like you said, the us and them. It's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going with them. Like I'm, yeah, I'm not one of them. I'm going with them. And that's just, it's not in a dickish way, but it just, it just made him, I think so much, so much cooler. Uh, Oh, and by the way, like, and, and maybe this, I don't know if in 89, this had something to do with it, but they said that he did have some drug and alcohol problems, but it was basically from 83 to 86. So if you think about, the the longevity of his career and the Stones' career from the early '60s up through this week, and he picked three or four years to just like 
here's when I'll do it. He said it might have been like a midlife crisis. Yeah. But like he just got it all out of the way within three. And it's like 83 to 86. Everything sucked then anyway. So like like what did he really miss? Like he missed like the thriller album and a couple of seasons of the A team. Like that, that was it. Everything else. What else happened from eighty three yeah, to 86? I, like nothing. I did He's read like, if I if I if I was an adult during that time, that's when I would have gone on that. <laughs> I I did yeah I think that he 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 fell in with heroin back uh, for just a few years. Um, yeah. well, he's I, a jazz drummer. He has yes to, yeah. For, I for guess at some point you gotta you gotta try the authentic. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, so I he was put, he put out a techno album by the way. I don't know if you I, I read this. It was uh, with a guy Jim Keltner. It was the Charlie Watch Jim Keltner mm-hmm. project, and it was I think it was in the. 90s i think it was like a techno kind of instrumental album and a lot of the tracks were named after jazz greats where he was like we're not trying to ape their style but it was just sort of inspired by them and so i listened to a couple of the tracks and they're actually like pretty cool like there's a uh, there's a couple really really cool tracks on there yeah i i would check that yeah jim keltner is another famous drummer uh, a really great drummer and um, Charlie Watts, yeah, he had the Charlie Watts Quintet, which was his own little jazz band. Uh, he would take um, Bernard Fowler, who is one of the backup singers for the Stones, and he would he would use him as his lead vocalist. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually, you can find it on YouTube. They were on Letterman one night. I think they did two numbers. And um, you could see the guy, the guy just, he never looks... He never, he, he never, never looks. He's always unfazed. Yeah, yeah, and and he never looks happier than when he's when he's playing jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, I, I want to read this. I love this quote so much. Um, so they talked about when when the Stones went from being like this great band to being the greatest rock and roll band in the world was when they added Bobby Keys and Jim Price, which brings mm-hmm. us way back to our first episode. Um, but I just love this quote because if you if you go back and listen to the Stones live in the early 70s, which is when is when the horns came on board, yeah, this nails it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the Rolling Stones is a tour document from 72, uh, the the exile tour. And um, it actually comes across on the screen. Like, it actually translates. Mm. Uh, All right. Um, A certain agent in this change was the addition of the all-Texas horn section, Bobby Keys and Jim Price, who helped turn the greatest rock and roll band in the world into a vicious, uncompromising soul review, overcharged and badass. The horns sounded like they were kidnapped at knife point from Muscle Shoals and reprogrammed personally by Keith Richards, Shot up with military-grade amphetamine, pure crystal, no biker crank, the good stuff, the shit that won wars. The whole crew looked like they were about to rob a pharmacy. Charlie, as ever, was the most level-headed of the bunch. He was an odd sort of rock star, one who was more likely to be found listening to Count Basie than snorting drugs and preferred to stay out of the limelight when he wasn't working. And then it goes into that story about playing pinball at the Playboy Mansion all night. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, if you have to I, I think the um I think the the brilliance behind the stones was that it's in the notes that they're not playing. It's it's mm-hmm. in how 
sparse everything is. Like if you listen to um, the guitar solo for Sympathy for the Devil, which is probably Keith's most famous solo. He doesn't do a lot of solos, but that that's probably the most famous. It's just, it's the notes that aren't being played that, that make it so great. It's so minimal. There's nothing flashy about it. It's, it's he knows that he's good enough that he doesn't have to win you over with the flash. Yeah. And, and that's what it is that goes back to, to Charlie of just you, it doesn't need to be 100 miles per hour. It doesn't need to be all these flourishes. It's just like just lay, lay it down. And, and the, again, that, that, that quote was so amazing. The, the role instead of the rock is, yeah. is exactly what, what that is. Yeah. And the, and the Stones knew what they had in him. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's people, you, you see the Stones and everyone's fixated on, on Mick and Keith. And, and, but the Stones understood. That's why even um, on their album cover for Get Your Yaya's Out, which is their best live album, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie's the only one on the cover. They, they, they put Charlie front and center on the cover wearing that red, white, and blue American flag hat. Yeah. And... Um, Charlie's the only one there. It's like they, yeah. it's like they un, they understood that was their secret. So just in case, I mean, on the off chance that any members of the band will listen to this, Keith, Mick, it, it, you, Mr. Jagger, Mr. Richards, if you're listening, what Ken is trying to say is that both of you guys suck, and <laughs> Charlie Watts is the only one that really mattered in this band. You guys were hacks. Uh, not my words. Again, uh, Ken Krantz's words is that. Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger don't deserve to be on stage. They never did. Charlie Watts is the only one that mattered. If if I'm am I paraphrasing that correctly, Ken? Yeah, I, th- I think you I think you got that right. Okay, good. <laughs> um, that said, so there, so I'm reading a lot. There's a lot of fans very upset. The Stones announced that the show must go on, and they're continuing mm-hmm. the tour. Uh, the drummer that is filling in is a drummer by the name of Steve Jordan, mm-hmm. who was Keith Richards' drummer in the Expense of Winos, has toured with Keith, uh, has was um, when Keith was the musical director for Chuck Berry's uh, 60th birthday concert that we've talked about, Hail Hail Rock and Roll. Steve Jordan was the drummer, mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of people don't know Charlie Watts handpicked Steve Drum, uh, Steve Jordan as his replacement. So when they announced a few weeks ago that Charlie was going to miss the American leg of the tour to recover mm-hmm. from a surgery, uh, Steve Jordan was announced. That was that was Charlie Watts' handpick, and yeah. I've I've seen Steve Jordan live. I saw him with a band called Black Jack Johnson, who never made an album, but it was most deaf. Steve Jordan. Bernie Worrell, the uh, organ, the keyboardist from uh, Parliament Funkadelic, and I, I think the I think guitar and bass from Fishbone. I, I don't remember their names, mm-hmm. but it was it was a hard rock band. It wasn't it wasn't it was most deaf doing hard rock songs. Wow! They never recorded an album. They just they went on like a little club tour. I I saw them at a like Bowery Ballroom with just a few hundred people. And Steve Steve Jordan's the real deal. He, um, I'm actually like it sucks that Charlie Watts died, but um, 
I'm kind of happy for for Steve Jordan because he, oh, sure. he's getting this. He's been hanging around with these guys for decades, and um, he should be a household name. You know, and people yeah. should know what an incredible drummer he is. Are you going to see them? Do you have tickets? I I don't think I don't think the tour. I think we already missed them. I know like the tour started before COVID, but I actually yeah. just went to look, and they're they're. I think Pittsburgh's the the closest. Okay. I I would be curious to see them now without Charlie Watts. Just to say, I'm mean, Steve Jordan's probably in his fifties, but right. for for them that's youthful energy, you know. Exactly. So I, I'd be curious to see what he infuses them with. Yeah. Um. Real quick, um, I also read, so Pete Townsend says, uh, so he plays, Charlie Watts plays drums. There's there's a really, really like wonderful album that a lot of people never heard. That was, I, I think it was probably like 1980. Um, Pete Townsend and the bass player from uh, the band Faces. So it's Pete Townsend and Ronnie Lane did an album together called Rough Mix. And it's like a who's who of of rock and roll are on that album. But Charlie Watts is the drummer for that album. Eric Clapton plays on it. Um, I, I think John Entwistle plays on a couple songs. And um, it's this really great album. It's like, each, it's like each song they trade, like Pete sings lead on one, Ronnie sings lead on the next, and then... Um, but Pete Townsend, in in his tribute, said that Charlie Watts was the most competent, like the best drummer that he ever worked with. Yeah, and he worked with Keith Moon. You Keith know, Moon. like yeah. yeah. So I thought that was I. I it se- it seems like you remember like when Patrice O'Neill died and all the comedians came forward with like it's like it almost seems like. He was a musician's musician, where it's like, yeah. if, if you do that for a living, you understand the importance. And I'll say this, Charlie Watts, much better drummer than Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I did read in, in um, that story that we led with, with uh, Charlie Watts punching out uh, Mick Jagger. That's mm-hmm. my favorite drummer story ever. But my second favorite drummer story ever is courtesy of Keith Moon. So there was um, there was a period when the Who were on hiatus, and Keith Moon famously was a huge surf rock fan, loved the Beach Boys, and um, he loved that surf rock music. So he moved out to California, uh, maybe uh, maybe Malibu, uh, to be close to the music that he loved, and he lived next door to Steve McQueen. The, the movie star from Bullet. Yeah. And um, Steve McQueen, and, I think. And the, and the movie Cars, too, I think. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, that's Lady McQueen. That's Lady, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so Keith Moon moved next to Steve. I read this in a Steve McQueen biography. And um, Steve McQueen's like kind of old school. And, mm-hmm. and Keith Moon was this fucking crazy, over-the-top rock star. And apparently Steve McQueen hated living next to Keith Moon and was pretty vocal about it. And um, they said that every morning Steve McQueen would like wake up early and he liked to have his coffee out on his balcony overlooking the ocean or something. And every morning, no matter what, it didn't matter if Keith Moon had 
been out and not slept, you know, for days. Every single morning when he knew that Steve McQueen was out there drinking his coffee, he would dress up in full Nazi uniform. He, he, had, he had a Nazi uniform from the war. He would dress up in it and just goose step past Steve McQueen's balcony back and forth, you know, like doing the Heil Hitler thing and goose step and just to, just to fuck with Steve McQueen, which Jesus. is, <laughs> which is also one of the greatest <laughs> stories I ever heard. Oh man. <laughs> whatever happened to, whatever happened to Keith Moon? You haven't heard from him recently. Like, has he done solo work or? <laughs> yeah, we should try and get him on. Yeah, see if you can. Yeah, see if you can get a get his number, get his agent's number. That'd be great. Uh, Keith Moon actually does have a solo record. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I'm just I'm just looking at a text asking if I want to uh, do a Rolling Stones Charlie Watch tribute uh, podcast on Sunday. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'll will just send this in. I'll be like, I'm too busy, but just play yeah, this. Yeah, just it's just like, just like the '89 Hall of Fame. You're not showing up. <laughs> well, I think we did it, Ken. I think we. Uh, I, I hope that we properly saluted and tributed uh, Mr. Watts tonight. Yes. Yeah, and go listen. Go listen to Exile on Main Street or Sticky Fingers. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well. Chris, you got your you got your mic on yet? You want to tell people where to find your album? Ooh, absolutely. I would love to. Uh, if you're listening right now, you can check out Serious Matters at SeriousMattersNJ.com. We're not as cool and as hip as the Rolling Stones, but we do have a jazz drummer and a jazz guitarist. Uh, and we'll be playing in Red Bank probably after this goes live, but it will be a great show regardless. Oh, nice. all right. well, good luck. Thank you. Um, Chip, anything you want to, well, let me ask you real quick, Chris, is, yeah. is having a jazz drummer in a rock band, the key to the whole thing? Cause it, it seems like the best rock bands, Stephen Perkins was a jazz drummer. We, I, I think he touched on that. When you have a ginger band baker and cream full of rock heads. Yeah. You don't get much done with a, a bag full of rocks. You know what I mean? You yeah. need jazz to polish all those rocks to make them more uh, refined and more, I don't know, astute, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and it helps like talking musically because we can actually communicate instead of being like, nah, dude, it sounds like this. The dug, the dug, the dug. Or it sounds like this. Da, 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 da. Right. You know what I mean? And as much as that sounds great and all, you can't make music from noises going blah, 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 the whole time. Yeah. Eventually you have to sit down and write it. <laughs> <laughs> so what he did, and he seemed to, he just added, a, he just added like a little bit of class to to a band of degenerates, right? Exactly. Yeah. Would, yeah you was... need that one person. That's why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's to, it's to class me up. Exactly. Well, exactly. I appreciate it, and I thank you for it. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, uh, when we uh, when we show up to the uh, rock and roll, w the podcasters Hall of Fame, uh, you're you're going solo, buddy. Right. <laughs> you're gonna be feeding horses that night. Exactly. Just feeding horse uh, police horses apples. That's what I'm just gonna do. Chip, have you heard of Ken's new band, uh, Chip Chantry and the Chip Chantries? They're really great, I, and they're I great heard... at identity fraud. You know, I'm I, I'm into it. I, I got to check my iTunes. Their first album's coming out 
stealing your identity coming soon. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm 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 here for it. All right, Andrew. I can't. Do you, do you have anything to? Uh, you got anything coming up? Yeah, but I don't feel like looking for it. Um, <laughs> follow me, Ken Krantz Comic. More importantly, follow the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Rock and with the and spelled out Rock and Roll Pod. And um, our numbers are growing. Like wherever you know, we we got that we got that Richard Marks bump, and our numbers have been steadily growing. So if you're listening and you're enjoying this, I'm I'm still very curious about who's ever listening to us in Frankfurt, uh, Dublin, Ireland. Somebody in Dublin just binged all our episodes in about two days. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you're listening and you're enjoying it. Tweet at us. Tell us what what stories you want to hear covered, and um, let us know what you like. We're here for you. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.